Happy Friday, developers. Today is October 3rd, 2023, and welcome back to our roundup episode where you can catch up on episodes you missed and get a quick rundown of the past two weeks from Pod Rocket. So let's get started. First up, we had our monthly panel where we discussed the recent state of CSS survey, the release of Bun 1.0, and the latest AI tool from Vercel, VO. Here, we're discussing how Bun might compete with Node in the future. I think the compatibility that Node has right now today is just so vast and wide that the amount of users that they have, no one would actually be like, let me just you know, refactor everything to Bun. Maybe, but I, if that was actually like a realistic expectation, at least from my point of view, it would be a very, very long time from now. Because if you think about it, I feel like Bun has different priorities than what Node has at the time. Node needs compatibility with everybody. You know, they need the stable ecosystem, whereas Bun's like, you know, their focus is be very fast, do everything faster, but they're also starting from, you know, right now forward. They don't have legacy users that they need to worry about necessarily. So I would see like people making like greenfield projects would probably adapt Bun, maybe dropping replacements for some maps that aren't too, too legacy. Again, like it really depends on um, or actually to tap onto like Mateo's article, he was disappointed because some of the Node APIs weren't ready yet, whereas they kind of made the claim that, you know, it is a drop and replacement. So I think he felt misled there, but I think Jared handled it well and said, any issues you get, send them to Bun, like you shouldn't be fielding these questions going forward. But I think the expectation is they'll eventually have those working. But yeah, as far as taking it over, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. I feel like the user groups kind of have a pretty big divergent between like especially the legacy ones and then the greenfield ones who knows i could be wrong i could be wrong and again they're also funded too so they're at the mercy of i guess investors maybe i don't know not to like tell kids to get off my lawn and turn into an old woman here but whenever i see like some of these stats these stats are happening in a vacuum where there's so many weird applications out there that are huge that are running so much internet infrastructure these days that I don't think it's going to overtake anytime soon because kind of like what Chris just said, like for newer projects, for projects that aren't too weird, it'll probably be very good at being fast at it, but there's a lot of weird JavaScript out there. And to get lightly spicy, a lot of this is reminding me of when Dino came out and then also when CoffeeScript came out, where a lot of times what these projects do is they give you really awesome features and improvements and stuff, but ultimately they end up just making JavaScript better or they end up making Node better in some way because they kind of adopt those things later on. And as you know, CoffeeScript is not really a thing anymore because JavaScript adopted a lot of that stuff. And Dino is still around to be sure, but it's still like Node has adopted a lot of those ideas. So I don't mean to be fully skeptical and be like, it can't be done because it could be. But I think that it will take a lot of very significant improvements and compatibilities to actually take anything over. If anything, I think this little fire in the Node team's butt, right. I don't want to say bad words, but from what I've seen, everyone's, you know, they're kind of rallying around like, okay, let's, you want to make Node faster? I mean, let's try. Or like, who wants to invest the time into it? So I think if anything, this is going to make Node better. Next, we welcomed back Miriam Suzanne, co-creator of Oddbird and SAS Core member, to talk about CSS container queries. Here, she answers the question, what do containers know? So in, in this talk, you asked the question, what do containers know? What does that mean? Well, so 
that came partially from the fact that we all knew the basics of what we wanted from container queries. We knew about media queries. We measure usually the width of the viewport, and we knew it would be nice if we could measure also the width of an element on the page. And so that's where it started, right? And we built the container query syntax from that point. But as soon as we had started writing that specification, we realized, well, if we can ask questions of elements, what other questions might we want to ask? And so it quickly expanded out to include a lot of other features in addition to just asking the size of a container. So the talk is partially about that. What what all else might we ask a container? Yeah, what what are some of the more interesting ones? Like what, what other data is exposed, you know, kind of at this container yeah. layer? Well, we're still a little bit exploring that. Hopefully there will be some more features coming, but we're querying an actual element on the page that has already been laid out at the point where the query is resolved. So we should know things like its font size. We should know various things about its box. So the first thing that we added was style queries, which let you say, uh, is this property on the container set to this value? And right now, and maybe forever, that only works on custom properties because it's a little hard to do on the full set of standard properties that are already there, which is too bad. I think there's some interesting features that could happen there if we're ever able to do it. And at this point, I no longer tell people it'll never happen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so maybe someday I think there's some things to figure out about that. But already in the spec and in Chromium browsers, so Chrome and Edge and a number of others, you can check the value of a custom property on the container and write styles that respond to that. So you can use that somewhat like a mix-in. You could set a theme property to darker light and then have your styles respond to that or something else. And we're working on state queries. Can we ask, is the container in a sticky positioning and is it currently stuck? So that's the one that browser engineers are working on to see if we can do it. And finally, Vitaly Friedman, UI expert and Smashing Magazine co-founder and editor-in-chief, joined us to give advice on working with complex UIs. Here, he breaks down what constitutes a complex UI and why it can pose difficulties. So let's talk about your conference talk that you actually gave pretty recently, which is about designing complex UIs, which if you've worked in any kind of a company, you've probably come across as a web developer so let's talk a little bit about the first thing, which is how do you define a complex environment? What is that in your opinion? I think in many ways, this is a combination of very different things that are just unknown to us. This is probably the easiest way to think about it. Things seem to be complex when we don't understand them. That's pretty much it, because it doesn't matter how complex something might appear at first. Once you start digging into it, once you start playing with the interface, or once you start trying to make sense of the data, of controls, or filters, or whatever it is that you have in front of you, at some point you create this sort of understanding. It doesn't matter how complex something is. So complexity typically comes from the fact that we might not fully understand what we have in front of us. That's usually the result of having a lot of data at your hands. 
This could be presented in very different ways, be it complex, huge tables, it could be data visualization, it could be maps, it could be uh, any sort of information presented in a very different way. Sometimes it comes from the fact that there's been kind of accumulation of technical debt over time. You just end up with an enormous legacy and nobody really knows what is happening under the hood. Nobody even wants to open that big box and see what's inside. And sometimes you end up with people who actually held the keys to the tower to be able to make some changes they already left. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know how that entire thing operates or works. So I think that there are all those things that are often coming together. With data, just to be a bit more specific, typically you also end up in a situation where it's not just the presentation of data, but making or creating understanding out of data, manipulating data, importing, exporting, I don't know, filtering, sorting, those kind of things. And then sometimes you also need to be able to move data from one place to another and then merge with something else. And this is where chaos starts creeping in. And uh, very often these applications, all of them seem to be quite complex because they combine all of those factors in some way or the other. And this is where it can be very difficult for somebody just coming from outside, like me very often, working with smaller, bigger companies, walking in feels like, oh, what is this in front of us? This is a beast and I have no idea where to start. <laughs> and that's then often how I perceive things to be complex. I'm nodding along as you're talking about legacy systems and people who have since left the company or the team and taken all of that knowledge of how those systems worked or were built in that way with them. So yeah, it can be an overwhelming and a daunting task. So how can developers make this data more understandable? How can they make it less complex? And why is that often missing in UIs? This is maybe my personal opinion, but I think that in many ways, when we think about any sort of complexity, we try to think about tooling first. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of teams thinking, okay, well, we have this really non-functional, dysfunctional search. This is just really not working. So what do we do with it? Well, let's try another search engine because, of course, the market is evolving, the tooling is evolving, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump from solution A to solution B. As a result, usually nothing changes. If anything, things get worse. The reason for it is not because of the tooling. It's mostly because of the structure or the shape of data. Very often it's not structured or not properly structured. You might not have a proper metadata, or maybe you just don't have enough categorization or some sort of a way of really having data in right places at right times. Mm -hmm. And whenever you get flows of information coming from different places, they might be having different formatting in which they're coming in. And there needs to be some cleansing happening, which is happening, but then it can corrupt the data as well. And so this is where things are happening, which really in the end bring confusion at best or big mistakes at worst. And so what we probably need to be really careful about is how do we organize whatever content, whatever data we have in front of us, how do we structure it? How do we make it available? How do we design our API endpoints to make it available to others? To not mix or kind of at least keep data clean in one way or the other, because we don't know where this data will go and what it will be merged with or how it will be connected with something else. Yeah. And sometimes you will find a lot of different restrictions where as a result, end users go along and they come to a form on the website and then they try to type in their full name. But then because of these limitations of us trying to be too clean in the, what is stored in the database, they type in their full name, 
but then excellent characters are not getting approved because you are not meeting the requirements. And so this is always this balance. We need to give people pretty much the free space to basically type in whatever they feel is right, but at the same time keeping the data in order. Mm-hmm. I think that if we could find that balance, then we would be in a good place already. And that's it for today, Friday, October 6th. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes or on our feed. And if you like what you hear, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. Try it for free today at logrocket.com.